Crow Talk. Crow Talk. Crow Talk. Film, Film Squawk. Squawk. Bird Box. Directed by Suzanne Beer. 2018. Five years after an unknown entity that, when seen, drives people to commit suicide, infiltrates humanity, a woman and two children battle a raging river blindfolded, hell-bent on finding shelter and surviving. Well, hello, 2019. Wow. Hello. We made it. I can hardly believe it. So, yays and nays. What are some yays, some reasons to see Bird Box? My yay is that it's a female director in a male-dominated genre. My yay is that the main character in a survivalist situation is a woman. For those of you that have not seen Bird Box, that are not a part of the 45 plus million viewers, if you need a reason to see Bird Box, I would say the first 15 minutes is a pretty valid reason to see Bird Box. As well, if you enjoy suspense, watch it. Or having like an an anxiety attack. Like just a mild, drawn out, two hour anxiety attack. Mm -hmm. Like I started like saying fuck you to the movie. I was like, just (laughs) stop. (laughs) I am done. And those are our yays. Yay. Yay. All right. (laughs) How about nays? Reasons that Bird Box is not worth seeing. My nay is a little trivial, but it's the release time in comparison to Quiet Place. That's my nay. One of my favorite characters dies too early. (laughs) There's a reason not to see this film. Way before you're able to learn what you want to learn from them. Okay. A reason that I think that you could skip Bird Box is if you are a person who is particularly annoyed by gaps in storytelling. I think that's Rochelle. It's a very polite way of putting it. (laughs) I wish the internet could have seen the look on Rochelle's face as she said that. And... Dive in. Splash. Splash. Crash. So, Stacy, Cassidy, why didn't you see Bird Box until now? I didn't care at all. Like, I don't know. I saw Quiet Place and I liked it. And I don't give a hoot about (laughs) post-apocalyptic movies. There's just been so many in the recent years. It's just not my flavor And it seemed like such a similar story to Quiet Place, even though I know the book was written in 2014. Um, I didn't realize that until I researched it. But yeah, I just just didn't care. And I love Sandra Bullock, and I just did not care. I also didn't care. And when I first learned about it, it struck me as one of those films that they make – that are they're not even B, C, D movies. Like, like Titanic F, 2. But it's like, yeah, but not even the sequel. It's like, this is also Titanic, but it'll, they'll do a different That's name. Or like Godzilla. Is. Oh, yeah. is it? Yeah. Okay, so, so when companies come in and try to capitalize on the success of a film and then make five different versions of the same film. That's what it felt like. Like it, you would find it in the like $1 bin at Walmart, like in that like yes. deep sea of Titanic yeah. 2 DVDs. Yeah, so it just wasn't <laughs> on my radar um, because I felt it was very predictable just by looking at the picture. Honestly, I didn't even watch a trailer before I watched the film, and it was predictable. I wouldn't even watch the trailer. I would just like scroll down. I was like, nice try, Netflix. No. <laughs> <laughs> but I love Sandra Bullock. Me too. So I knew I was eventually going to watch it, and then then and then and this came about. So I guess it was this was the catalyst that I needed to watch Should it. we divulge that we were not planning on doing Bird Box and it was a last minute decision at like 
when did that happen? At like 5 p.m. yesterday. Yes. Well, yesterday morning, I was sitting down to view Girl, which was slated to be our film for January. And I waited. Uh, we all waited uh, because it was supposed to release on Netflix on the 18th. And I was out of town, so I didn't check until yesterday morning, and it was nowhere to be found. So it did not release. And so instead of putting off our recording, Stacy had a great idea that we would do Bird Box, and I thought that, that would be a compelling alternative, especially considering the influx of original streaming content and and what that means for viewing and what that means for releases and what that means for viewership and the idea of cultural sensation. So I, I wanted to dig into that, and I thought that, that was a great a great segue. Even though we didn't get to do the film this month that we wanted to do, I guess now we'll see if, if Netflix releases Girl. Hopefully they do, and we can do it next month. Yeah, that would be great. I do like <clears throat> reviewing movies that stream from time to time, because mm -hmm. what you said, Rochelle, the influx of them is just crazy these days. Yeah, so everybody's watching. That's what everyone is watching, guaranteed. Mm -hmm. You know. Yeah. So um, for that fact i was like okay i don't have to leave my house and i like that have we done a big blockbuster like this i guess oceans eight another sandra what do you mean sorry have we podcasted a big blockbuster i'm just recalling all of our other films like star is born but, I mean, um yeah you're right star is born yeah well that and I, big, no. I don't even know if this was intended to be a blockbuster but because of the influence of netflix and the readily available nature of the company it became one which Jan is and sandra bullock in a netflix original is a pretty big deal like yes. i feel like you don't really see like that type of talent totally in streaming films and she turned it down i guess too she turned it down a few years prior oh, I thought she produced it well they but they had approached her like i think she and um suzanne beer is who i thought it was um but yeah they turned it down and then came back around to it and I didn't mm. read enough of the article, so go figure it out for yourself, internet. <laughs> <laughs> well, we did see Netflix release Bright around the same time last year. And you wouldn't have thought to see, you know, Will Smith in uh, essentially a, a straight-to-TV movie, which is what Netflix is. But because it's fancy and it costs now $15 a month, uh, it it's, has a different rapport at the moment. So yeah, I'm interested because yes, Bird Box has become a, in its own new right, a blockbuster a sensation. with huge names. Like I could not believe John Malkovich know, was in it. I that know. like just really surprised me. John Malkovich. Have we seen Lil Rel since Get Out? He played Charlie. I was so surprised to see the best oh friend from Get Out. Oh my gosh, wait, man. Really? Yes. Wow, Why didn't I didn't I even make that him? connection. Yeah, so I'm going to say no. I haven't <laughs> seen him since Get no. Out. No. I thought that that was a blast. Good uh, eye, Rochelle. And I just watched Dumplin', which also oh my was gosh. a Netflix original. She's been in two now. Oh, really? There's another one with um, the guy from All the Boys I Loved Before, Letters to All the Boys. Oh, oh. Yeah, they're in like a rom-com, which is kind of weird. We don't need to review it here. Kind of <laughs> weird. Um, but yeah, she's in that as well. Mm. But I loved her in Dublin. And yeah, Jennifer Aniston in that too. Mm. Netflix. Interesting. Hello. Interesting trend. Right. It was a good cast. It was a good cast. Absolutely stacked. Yeah. It was overly stacked, some might say. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Though it was fun. I had a good time with them on screen. Yeah. I. What they were given. Mm -hmm. <laughs> they did yeah. the most with what they had. 
mm-hmm. I think that they could, which was like they were given very little. Yeah. The side characters. Mm. Mm-hmm. I did. I did like for an apocalypse scene, like when it's all breaking out and happening, when it's hitting the apocalypse. I that was my favorite scene. I think for that kind of chaos and turmoil. Um, out of from other films that I've watched, still not my favorite though. Is and I'm favorite? not well watched in this genre. Is it Pontypool? No. Okay. It's it's War of the Worlds from 2009 or five with Tom Cruise. I don't even remember. They're in New York for that one, right? No. No. Don't remember. It's that just film. the way it develops is it's very quiet. And there's not all this chatter about. I don't know. It was more believable. But I feel like once you've seen that format. I just don't care to see it again. And see, I'm an an enormous psychological thriller, post-apocalyptic. Give me something slightly new to chomp on and really dig into social morals and things like that. I just do. I run with it. So I am probably the exact right audience for this film because I always take it further than anyone expected it to be taken. And then I enjoy that because I've essentially created my own narrative (laughs) and Mm -hmm. my own reasoning behind everything and given it all sorts of value that was never there. I just like run away from it. I'm like, how dare you (laughs) enter my imagination? Be over now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, when Sarah Paulson steps in front of the bus and gets hit and then immediately uh, Sandra goes into shock, I really really appreciated I mean that's in that first 15 minutes and so that was my yay the woman coming down the steps to help a pregnant Mallory Sandra's character to then see the creature look off into space somewhere say hello mom or mom and then just to sit down in a burning car that then explodes yeah I hadn't seen anything quite like that before because it was so psychological at the same moment as being almost like a terrorist attack as well as just any kind of like street warfare it it felt like many things at once to me uh, because obviously we knew nothing about the creature or the entity. And so at that point, anything was game. And I really, I liked the difference between that world, that origin world, the origin moment, and then five years in the future when she's battling the river with the two kids under a blanket and blindfolded, essentially. I felt like those two pieces um, created the cyclicality that this story sort of depended on. Totally. Without that, I, I... I can't even speak to it, but I really appreciated that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I didn't mind that. My only problem with it was it starts out five years earlier, but then within the five years earlier timeline, there's a jump because the kids like grow up. You know, there's like a pretty rapid jump in time in mm-hmm. that beginning portion that was kind of a letdown for me. Or I was like feeling like I was getting caught up to speed at that point when it was all kind of unfolding and she was making it to the river, like mm-hmm. when they revisit that. I don't know. I was like, wait a minute. So this is not five years earlier now. We're suddenly like at the moment. I don't know. That part for me, I didn't love mm-hmm. for whatever reason. I'm being overcritical though. So No, I, <clears throat> I just really felt the formula of the genre the whole time. So I had a hard time even buying in. Um, though Sandra... Uh, saved it for me yeah, for she- sure and her relationship with her kids was interesting 
I was reading an interview with Sandra Bullock and they were asking her about the role and if she's hard on her kids. And her response was exactly her character, Mallory. She was like, I am really stern with my kids, but it comes from a, it comes from a place of fear. And so I thought that was really interesting. And I'm wondering if that's what really connected her to this project, because that's really specific. And I'm sure that's something that all parents feel is fear for their kids. And her performance was amazing. I loved her acting in it. And yeah, I totally agree, Stace, especially with the relationship and the dynamic with her kids and her pregnancy, just the whole journey with the children. We've seen a few films uh, we did last year uh, that center on different aspects of motherhood. Uh, we reviewed Tully, and then we, we were going to review Quiet Place, but we did all see that. And I think this film handles motherhood in yet another way. Did you have any specific, outside of her being hard on her kids, even just her response to motherhood in general, did you have any particular thoughts or feelings about that that characterization of a woman? I mean, I think it's really important. I, I loved the part at the very beginning in the doctor's office where the doctor was like coaching her on like, this is this life forms coming into the world. So you're going to have to pay attention to it. You can't ignore it which I think is a really important thing to bring up because it kind of is tinging on postpartum or, you know, like women that could have a hard time with that. Um, so I did really like that, like the disconnect between her and her children, but then the responsibility and that maternal instinct to have to protect them was something I actually don't really think I've seen done quite that way before, at least off the top of my head. I can't recall. Yeah, I didn't really care for the fact that she called them girl and boy. I felt like that was... Driving it home too much. I don't know. I felt neutral on that. But um, it did touch on, I think, a fear. And maybe every generation goes through this. But I do feel people our age are resisting having children. That's something that I've encountered a lot in my personal relationships with other women. Um, so I do agree with you that particularly in the beginning, her attitude towards having children, I could relate to. She wasn't excited. Totally. And I think there's so many women out there, or this is an assumption, but I would assume that there are lots of women out there that feel similarly, especially as the pregnancy is coming to fruition, you know? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I did, I liked the dynamic and I didn't mind the boy and girl just because she was so terrified the whole time that to me didn't seem quite as heavy handed just because she was so scared to lose them. Yeah. And disassociate. Yeah. And that seems to be a kind of what she did with everything. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so... What about you, Rochelle? I think I appreciated that this film never really delved into the idea of a woman being fearful of bringing a child into this world, this version of the world. It was just of motherhood, just even bearing a child, uh, navigating those very immediate and raw emotions. And... In the previous society that they were living in, like our current society, she had the luxury of questioning that. And then as society changed to adapt to these creatures, that luxury was gone. And so then you in turn adapt. So she did. And I think that that's why I appreciated the boy and girl because... Ultimately, these children have never seen any other children. 
There's no internet. They probably don't even have books. There were no children in that home, so no children's books. So names are a social construct. And if society has completely shifted, the constructs can shift. And so then they get names. And it's a very overwrought moment. And I, yeah, I have plenty of feelings about that. But ultimately, I had no problem with the girl and boy uh, from a questioning society and what society's role is in our identity formation standpoint. I just don't think that the the film is trying to go that far, <laughs> but right. I always do. So I think that I saw a lot of really cool uh, symbolic aspects to this film that were so unintentional, probably because they were leaving them open for people like me to read into it and then to decide that they love this film, which I didn't. But it was super compelling to me because the best, most interesting things in life don't have answers, mm -hmm. in my opinion. And this film gave us no answers. <laughs> yeah, it definitely it didn't. Um, and I understand and always appreciate show, not tell. And I love not showing the monster. That usually always ruins There the is film, a deleted but... scene with that. <gasps> They're, you can they continue the monster. Yeah, I. But they took it out because it was a no go. It made well, Sandra Bullock glad. laugh. Oh my gosh! Like the she said she would laugh at the monster <laughs> because it was so ridiculous. ridiculous. Mm -hmm. hmm. Well, I'm interested to see. Um, there's, I don't even there's know if they released scene. it. Yeah, I, oh. I didn't find the scene, but they I said they're gonna it. SNL it. Oh my gosh, that's oh so funny. She, it's apparently like a green monster, and I think she said it looked like it had like a kissy face or something. It was like what? a snake, and it looked like a big a baby blob baby. Yeah, what? it's like the Suspiria witch. Actually, oh my gosh, <laughs> it's Madame Marcos. Yeah, well, Beer actually, I believe she said that that it didn't necessarily make sense to show this monster because everyone's worst fear manifests differently. And I appreciate that for sure. Oh, I love that. I, I really appreciate that. But there were moments in the film that I felt that the creators were like, oh, well, we don't know what this actually <laughs> is, but that's because you shouldn't know and and keeping it too open-ended. Mm -hmm. uh, well, yeah, they're like, hey, like no result. Yeah, it felt like, well, we actually just don't know what we're doing and we just slapped the screenplay together. I, was, I kept being like, oh, it's lost. Like, towards yeah. the end when she was in the woods, I was like, and lost. <gasps> Cassidy, tell uh, the audience the ending of the actual book, which is way more interesting. Oh, so I came across a fact about the book, which Sorry, is the when they make it, spoilers, ka, 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 when they make it uh, to the school for the blind, that most of, in the film, they, they're seeing people there, but in the book, most of the people had decided to blind themselves. I wondered if that would be something that they so would do. Yeah. That makes so much and I sense. Wish, I wish they would have gone that way because it was such a gruesome story. So for them to suddenly end at this like, bird-ridden oasis and they and where everything's like happy but like these monsters <sighs> are still right around them so i wish they would have taken it that step further mm -hmm. and stayed truer to the book um i don't know maybe i'm twisted that way but that just seems more practical than like because then the monster was suddenly like playing tricks on their hearing too mm -hmm. i don't know i wish they would have been all self-blinded I just thought that was so <laughs> fascinating. Yeah, like that's what would happen. Yeah, people would decide to make 
that choice. Well, and if you're living in that much fear and it's a life or death, just Mm -hmm. like natural reactive thing that could happen by opening your eyes or like shifting your eyesight That makes sense, especially if there are people who can see them. There are doctors there too. They could totally take care of this. Mm -hmm. And it's confusing if, well, yeah, it was a little, okay, here we go, internet. We're going to pick it apart. Um, But it was confusing where when the monster was present, the leaves would move like that. Yet the way that it was depicted seemed as though it was invisible to me before I read any articles. It was like, this is like a spirit or whatever Mm -hmm. the guy was talking about who was like, this is the biblical apocalypse. Um, um, That was Charlie. Charlie. That was Charlie. (laughs) Really good with names. Hi, Charlie. Um, But yeah, then it's interesting to think too, because like through her linen blindfold, you could still like kind of see. So I was Mm -hmm. like, if this monster is invisible, like what? You can still like see. And then I was thinking about how they were able to stay under blankets and have sight under blankets. So I was visualizing if I were in that situation, I would put a blanket over me on the ground. So it's touching the ground so I could see the ground where I'm walking. It's the stuff that like pulls me out of it. And I'm sorry, like this demonic force that's like wiped the globe clean of humans can't go inside. It's a vampire. P.S. Like it's unless you invite it in, it's not coming. (laughs) It's a good that's a good point. You know, like the garage door opens and closes, but the demon's like, I'm fine. Yep. I'll hang out. I'll hang out out here. And it doesn't go into the and garage. It like can't no. come in and hang out until someone opens their eyes. Uh, yeah, I I do not have the answer. <laughs> None of us and do. All of these things I bring up too, because that's what pulls me out of it. You know, mm-hmm. especially if the if the character if the characters too had been stronger. I think it, it would have been better for me as well because then I would have held on to that. But, man, I was so excited about um, Greg's character, mm-hmm. his complicated relationship with his really not nice neighbor, John Malkovich's character. I was excited to see their relationship unfold, and then he died. B.D. Wong dies. I guess Jurassic in Park. the book he... That character had a multitude of theories that he wanted to try, mm-hmm. um, but he wasn't able to. Because, you know, the idea of trying to get at the bottom of where the source of power resonates for this creature is important. Because, obviously, they can't look through cameras. But they can look through a blanket. blanket. So then it's foggy. Is it, like, fuzzy eyesight? So then... It, it's on the spectrum of vision. It's like if you can see perfectly, you're dead. If you're blind, you're alive. And anywhere in between, it's like any man's game. Maybe. Like if you can't make out know. shapes, maybe, you know, that's when we derive a lot of meanings when we see a shape, you know. Mm-hmm. Like we see car- we see faces in cars. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Schema. It's like that sort of understanding that happens in the brain. Right. So I don't know. Yeah, again, it's the the small details that... And why could insane people look into the face of this creature, see their worst fear, and gain superhuman strength and survive? I hated that part of the storyline. Like, why did they even do that? They didn't need it. They're like, ooh, here comes the monster gang coming to get you. We're going to peel your your eyes eyes open. open. Again, I just. And that was a really, like, predictable. moment was when the birth was happening I was like cool so this guy is gonna like kill everybody in the house and Sandra Bullock's gonna be like left under a blanket with the babies I don't care if it was predictable it scared me 
Oh, really? I was on the edge of the car seat. Because oh. I watched this in the car. <laughs> oh my gosh. And I was like jumping. The whole film or are you talking about that thing, scene? All of it. Just mm. the whole thing. I don't care about how predictable it was. I don't care what I could see coming or what I couldn't see coming. For me, I was jumping and hooting and making all sorts of noises. And Brandon's driving along and I've got my earbuds in. He's just laughing at me and I couldn't stop. I had to pause it over and over and over again because I was just like, oh my God, it's too much. I mean, it did, like I had said earlier on, give me severe anxiety. For me, it wasn't jump scare necessarily, but to get me to the point where I just want to like tap out, it was anxiety ridden, like a lot of anxiety, which I don't personally love. Yeah, I had some anxiety, but I don't know why it didn't really get to me. I think I went in it into it with a bad attitude. Yeah, and I didn't, I didn't know anything about it. I, I really knew nothing. And I knew that Sandra Bullock was in it. And I knew that people were talking a lot about it. I had, I'm had i not on the right social media, apparently, because I knew nothing about that bird box challenge. Oh, my gosh. I did not what? know Trevante was in it. I, I knew nothing. The bird box challenge is when people blindfold themselves and then go driving. Or do with, other dumb stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Yay. And I miss out on so many of these, in my opinion, ridiculous cultural reactions uh, and so in this case, it meant that I went in with no, really no thoughts or knowledge or expectation other than the fact that my partner hates Sandra Bullock and <gasps> I've been giving him a hard time about Man, it. She gets that sometimes. But I why? feel like it's a lover why? hate. Like Justin it doesn't like her hate. either. And I wonder if it's like the stuff she's done, maybe just the projects. Cause she was very like nineties. And I can't speak to it, but she is both our mom's favorite actresses. So I, I love, love her. her. So yeah, much. I love her. I'm totally on Team Rochelle with that one, but my I husband mean, has the same feeling about while her you were reason. sleeping. That oh, was my first Practical magic, anybody? Yes, my favorite. So that was all I had, and so I got to go into it fresh. I had no intention of watching it anytime soon because mm-hmm. it's on Netflix, and that's another cultural piece. I had no urgency to see it. I am shin deep in Oscar catch up and Letterbox challenge wrap up and I just don't I didn't have time to see it for any reason other than to talk about it mm-hmm. legitimately and I was pleasantly startled <laughs> I totally did not want to watch it hands down didn't mm-hmm. want to see it I'm sure I would have in the next year or so you know since you can stream it um and it was okay it was okay like I didn't hate it <laughs> it was a fine two hours <laughs> Yeah. But I was happy when it was over. I was like, thank God. I'm a tough sell, and I'm trying to pinpoint why I'm such a, a hard sell on films like this. But yeah, I was just like, arms folded. No. <laughs> yeah. Nope. Okay, that's okay, but no. See, for me, it's that everything goes wrong. Like, I hate that kind of it. Like, I hate that. I mean, that. it's tough. I couldn't even watch but... Jumanji as a kid because I was like, <laughs> everything's going wrong. Is it going to be better at the end? I don't care. Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> And so I know, like, me personally as a viewer, I'm Mm. not attracted to that type of narrative. Mm -hmm. Um, Here's a question. What if you're blind and insane? You're just, like, hanging with the monsters, like, yo, 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 I can't see you, but I love you. I don't understand. And I honestly (laughs) kind of missed that they had to be insane. I guess I remember him talking about coming from the asylum or whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it was all confusing. And then he drew the pictures of it, but the pictures made him 
go crazy like looking at those pictures was that was that somebody else's notebook watching it, was it his. out it was he was his. he was already insane when he got to the house so yeah. he's a really good actor but i feel like his eyes like <laughs> changed like once he was in the house he looked at the photos or the drawings and then his eyes got all weird yeah i don't understand yeah he was able to like fool his way in I don't know, some sort of con. Yeah, what the I fuck? I don't know. Again, I don't think much of this was really thought out. Well I think it was a, they had this gimmick that worked really well with Quiet Place and then ran with it. But that's not true because it was a book in 2014. And it was written in 2014 as a screenplay and it was on, it was on Bloodlist for Best Unproduced Horror Screenplays. So maybe John Krasinski. Whoa, John. Whoa, Whoa John. Emily. What are you guys doing? Did you read that first? I don't know. I mean, it's a but, very intriguing concept. Yeah, I wish the monster portion was way more flushed out because it would have made everything mm-hmm. stronger in the film. Yeah, I guess it's it's the what if formula. Like, what if this happened and you were but it's unable like, to what do if times this? ten? Because then they're like, well, what if crazy people could see it and then like forced other people's eyes open? It's like too much. It's yeah. But what if you were blind? But what if you know. lived in a bird sanctuary? It did make me want to watch War of the Worlds, though, because that movie is so good. <gasps> it is so scary because it's just life. And then there's lightning and then aliens come from the ground. Yeah, no. And evaporate people. That. There's like clothes floating in the air. It's so. And then it's just running. Oh, yeah, don't you, watch it. You love an alien. Place. See, I'm a hard sell on all of this stuff. I'm like, <laughs> nope, nope, nope. Who's got like... <laughs> I don't even know. A lady flick? <laughs> I don't like action movies like that, really. But I do like that a female directed it, whatever that means. You know, uh, I was really surprised to learn that it was a female director after watching it. Well, and you're talking about the formula of the what if. And this was adapted by Eric Heiser, who wrote Arrival. Oh. Interesting. So interesting. I had a difficult time with Arrival because it was so pretty mm-hmm. and the they were some of the best aliens that I'd ever seen on screen for myself. The mm-hmm. concept of these aliens and Arrival was dynamic. And I liked getting into the spaceship and the language piece. Oh man. Mm-hmm. The language was hyper, it was amazing. Hyper cool. Mm-hmm. Hyper cool. Mm-hmm. But the what if in that film bugged me and I didn't feel like the film ever the film ever finished. It never I, it never finished for me. Yeah. I'm I'm trying to even like remember it. It it kind of falls apart. I I don't remember the exact ending, but I remember it like after they get in there and start to learn the language and we see the aliens interacting mm-hmm. with her, like my memory's gone after that. Well, and then it morphs it for me with Annihilation, which also yes. has an enormous what if quality to it that additionally did not feel complete to me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But each of these films represent a slightly different take on the same fundamental principle of essentially throwing spaghetti against the wall and saying, what if we die like this? Mm-hmm. What if we die like this? What if we die like this? Mm-hmm. I agree. Other than I feel like the monster was just not flushed out enough still. Like, even in Annihilation, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I, like, bought the concept more. 
the the parameters of the world that that space where the monster was and how mm. it was taking over that really worked for me because I needed to yeah. go into like the danger zone. Yeah, mm-hmm. and yeah, I don't know something about that, and then leaving me with a what if. I was like, okay, fine. I guess the what if formula that was coined in this episode of Kurtak, um is the post-apocalyptic scenario, like the end of days Mm -hmm. scenario. But I just feel like they didn't even take the what if like to completion with Bird Box because they were like, and here's a happy ending. You know, like I feel like they tried to like mask the what if almost Mm -hmm. with the way that the film was wrapped up. And I don't think it would have necessarily been quite so blatant to me if they would have if there would have been more self-blinded people or people making more drastic decisions as far as like survival in the long term. So then it's a really delicate balance between too much and too little. I was pretty disappointed to hear that there was ever a conceivable monster because of course I've built it up in my brain to be some sort of social message, uh, a morale, a moral. And... I do think that they just didn't necessarily know what they were doing because yeah. if they created a monster at all, then it's been just about what the audience needs to see. Yeah, and I mean, I feel like they had an opportunity with the way that the monster affects people to talk a little bit or explore a little bit more in mental illness in general. Mm-hmm. But instead they were like, are you mentally ill? Be friends with the monster. <laughs> I don't know. Just yeah, I didn't feel any metaphor or mm-hmm. I didn't feel any of that in this film. It was just like a little journey in a post-apocalyptic world. That's mm-hmm. it for me. Neil had a good observation. I felt my husband when the film ended, he said that should have been a TV series, and I was mm-hmm. immediately like, no, I don't <laughs> want any more of that. No, but then I thought about it, and it's like actually you're right because they could start to talk about the things they heard people say right before they left and and try to figure out the mystery of the monster, um, which was an intriguing mystery. And I wanted like to spend more time on that. And they it with Doug because he was like, she said, mom, and why would she say that? Because her mom's been dead for 10 years. Right. We're never going to talk about that again. Bye. And there's no time. You know, yeah, there's true. no that's time. Like you said, the jump, they're born and then they're five years old. It's a huge jump. Um, so... I, you know, if this story had had a different medium, a different format, it might have really benefited from time. I enjoyed uh, the dilemma she was in when they got to the rapids and she Mm. had explained to the children that someone was going to have to look, Mm -hmm. that she couldn't look because she would immediately die. Mm -hmm. But I guess in her mind, she thought that there's a potential the children wouldn't immediately die. Yeah. What is up with that? Okay. Continue. And so then she obviously did not want her son to be the one. And then she comes to terms with the fact that she does not want her daughter to be the one either. So then no one looks. And in the moment, I was I was very happy with that decision. And then I read something online. Someone asked, why didn't, when they heard the rapids, why didn't they just get out of the boat? And walk toward the birds. I thought of that too. <laughs> or just like follow oh my the bank. God, like, I roll. Like water on your right. You know what I mean? Like they could have traversed. Well, that hillbilly crazy man that loved the monster might be wading out that in the guy river. That freak me out. I didn't know if he, if he was real. 
I didn't know if he was real or fake so guy. confusing. The whole thing, yeah, it just kind of unraveled at the end. And I wish they wouldn't have, like, it confused me that the monster was suddenly playing, like, games with the audible portion of reality, too. Which is why I think that they ran, because I think the monster was audible, but since so much of it is through Mallory's perspective. And I don't always think that the monster was calling about people's worst fears. I think that he was pulling out worst pain. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I agree fully with that. Mm-hmm. But yeah, the just the fact that it was suddenly like in her head just at that point, like it had never really been. I guess she, you would hear like leaves rustle occasionally throughout the film, but like you never heard it talking to her. You never heard it talking to anybody during the chaos. Like it never had a voice until suddenly like yeah they just didn't have a plan they just slapped it in there they didn't have They're a like, plan well, what if yeah. the monster suddenly can talk to her you'd think yeah. that the monster <laughs> would be trying to talk through the house walls or through windows or well and there was like shadowy leaves when she's like laying in the drywall area drywall it can't penetrate drywall oh that's what <laughs> it's it the, is it's weakness it's, it's drywall the weakness is drywall <sighs> drywall saves humanity <laughs> The little girl, too. This is my last gripe. Oh, I have another one to add on. And then I'm done. Go ahead. Um, I also felt that the little girl was way too precocious for her age. And maybe that's unfair given her upbringing. But there were so many moments where she's like, I'll look. I'll look. And I felt that was something that an adult who could understand the gravity of the situation and see that. She didn't want her to spare her son. I, I felt like that was way too much for a five-year-old to even comprehend the gravity of the situation. Or uh, there was just something in, and maybe this is the writing and the directing coming through that rubbed me the wrong way, but I was like, no. Well, and it's not like she knew that she wasn't Sandra Bullock's actual child is an assumption because they never explained that, but sure. I'm assuming. And also, like, she only <laughs> had lines, but the son never did. And I'm like, did you just hire these two kids to sleep? Like they're just going to be sleeping like even when they were still in the home, not on the river. Like every time it showed the kids, they were like sleeping. I wondered if she, if the little girl said that because she was protecting her brother. That is what I thought she was doing. Um, And that's what I got from her entire characterization that she was the one who pushed back. She was the one who was strong of the two children which was such an interesting, for me, counterpoint to Olympia talking about how, because she'd been raised with so much privilege, mm, that she mm-hmm. was so soft. And then here's her daughter, who was not raised with privilege, and she was strong. Totally. Survivalist and women. I love that. I just, maybe I've not been around enough five-year-olds. I'm like, is are they really able to comprehend? Eliana would say something like that to me in a heartbeat. Yeah, I could buy but like, it. But look at it and like have it. the chin quiver like, I'll do it. Yeah, if she's protecting so. her brother, I mean, but especially not like like reading into like picking up on nuances of yeah. But you know, I don't interact with a lot mean, of five year olds. I think you could want to protect your mom and your brother. Like I could see a little kid, Wanting yeah, like what Rochelle that. just said, not understanding the full gravity of what she's saying, but still like being just like a caring person. I'll do it. The lady steps up once again. I mean, okay, not to bring up Naked and Afraid right now. It's <laughs> happening. can't go by. Hashtag Naked and Afraid. Go watch it. But the women, like, oftentimes survive over the men. Hmm. And so back to my yay 
Of course she survived because she had to protect the children and that makes so much sense. So I do love that in a post-apocalyptic movie that like the lady takes care of business because that makes the most sense ever to me. And I agree. I did appreciate Trevante at the end. I mean, there was a teamwork happening there and they would not have been able to make it to the boat if he didn't sacrifice himself. I was compelled by the fact that he could control his response to the monster so oh much God. that he could shoot the guy first and well, then shoot himself. He was in the military. So True. what if a guy in the military had to take on the monster? <laughs> he could do it for an extra 10 seconds. <laughs> he wasn't even taking on the monster. He was taking out like the crazy monster gang that's like driving lowrider BMWs so around. Like what was that? Just silly. Ugh. So this was a rough ride. Rough ride. Rough ride down the river. But Sandra, you're perfect. Sandra Bullock. <laughs> she truly is like her crying. Perfect. I was like, the that whole time. Was the saddest, that was the most amazing part of the movie. Her, her acting crying. was the best. It was great. She's Sandra Bullock. And she's beautiful. Best in the world. She's so beautiful, <laughs> husband Justin. <laughs> so takeaways. Things we want to take with us. That we've learned about this film and other films like it. We're just, you know, the monster conglomeration that is Netflix and the power it wields over us. I mean, I want Netflix to do more films like this. <laughs> I, you know, like more big budget, big actor. I liked that part of it. Um, more survivalist films or like action films with women in it too. I always enjoy that since it's such a novelty at this point. So, I will take away the importance of not just allowing a story to create cyclicality, but every device utilized therein to also find fruition. So when you bring up such an important aspect to a character's life as being raised on a horse ranch and make that the entire link to her and her sister, and then you kill her sister and you never mention horses again, and you tell us that there's a monster that, if you look at it, it will kill you because it will make you access something inside of yourself that drives you to commit suicide. But that only clinically insane individuals can access the darkness in them and then they become darkness. And then when you tell us... Rant, 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 rant. <laughs> and then when you tell us that the only way that individuals who cannot see can reign supreme is because a horrible monster comes along and kills off all the sight bearing people that's fucked up man so you gotta think full circle here not just because you've got five years in the past and the current happening all at once gotta think about every single detail that you've embedded into the story and how it comes around and what it says and maybe if you mentioned it ever again, horse. Yeah, maybe like pick up all the loose fucking ends. Writers, are you listening? Hello, Rochelle's writers. coming for you. Michelle's gonna. <laughs> You're come in get big you. trouble. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's just us improving and remembering that the details that we give characters—they're not screen time filler. They're human beings that we're trying to essentially fill people's homes or screens with that can either build them up and make their life richer. Or really, really piss them off. You pissed or, us off, Netflix. <laughs> or in the worst case scenario, 
people don't even realize that what that what they are watching is cotton candy non-humanity and then it becomes humanity and then we're just cotton candy mm-hmm. that was beautiful mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you just know. want to eat the cotton candy i just i <laughs> prefer to just eat the cotton candy well what's terrifying <laughs> is that this is cotton candy for the majority of the people right well yeah this is what I think and, for some people they, it's their steak. It's their it's the whole meal. And <laughs> that's really alarming. That's my takeaway is that people everybody like this? Oh no. I thought there were quite mixed reviews. Well, critical reviews. Oh, were, but just were like harsh. human but beings were so like popular. there's millions of us in our Did you say 45 million? First week, 45 million viewers. There's just again, people want this dystopian narrative. And it's kind of alarming. So yeah, let's think about how this narrative has inundated us, how we personally respond to it when it started, probably after 9-11, and how it's morphing and how it's changing, and how there are some storytellers who are pushing boundaries and really trying to tell new stories uh, in evocative ways that also deal with end-time themes, but how we are, and by we I mean me, are ready to gobble down and make meaning out of drivel. Mm-hmm. because we're all afraid to die. Mm-hmm. Sort of one thing we all have in common. <laughs> yep. Welp, see ya. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> this has been a Talking to Crows production. 